celebrating baptisms together this weekend, and I want to share with you some of the powerful, encouraging, transformative stories. Last night, two people were baptized. Angel, who about two months ago, I had a conversation with him by that exit, and he was saying how he wants a new start in life, and he wants to follow Jesus and live for the Lord. And this is a man in his early 20s who's made a lot of decisions that didn't honor God. He's run with a lot of different people. He's done a lot of different things, and this is a new start, and he's deciding to follow Jesus. And we celebrated that last night. And uh, yeah, we praise the Lord for his story. Also, Anaya was baptized, and Anaya is 16. Anaya shares her story. Uh, one of the families here at Grace has adopted Anaya, Robert and Gail May, and Anaya has decided to put her trust in Jesus. She has a forever family. And then with baptism, it was just a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning that she felt stirred, that she is too reserved and quiet in her faith, and she wants to have courage, and she doesn't want to be quiet about Jesus, and she wants to stand up in this generation and follow the Lord. And she was baptized and we celebrated her and her story last night. Praise God. And next service, Jess is going to get baptized, and we're celebrating with Jess. Jess is the mother of two young kids, a young boy and a young girl. Uh, Michelle Groom is a phenomenal uh, grandparent as well. And Jess has made a decision that uh, even though she's had a lot of hurt and disappointment in life, and for many, many years she's carried anger towards God, that now uh, this has changed, and she just wants to follow God, and she believes in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and she's born again. So we're going to be baptizing Jess next service as well. God continues to move. He meets us where we're at. He's changing us. We're a church family. We're following God together. Everyone's story is important. Everyone is important here. And uh, we share our stories. We build each other up. And we also celebrate with baptism. If baptism is something you're thinking about, please let us know in the connecting card. And we'd love to help you take that next step. And today we're in a series. And it's What is God Saying? We're really highlighting the importance of listening to God. We're going through five different minor prophets. These are very short books in the Bible. And today we're wrapping up Joel. Joel is just three chapters. His name means the Lord is God. And that's really his message to a nation that's drifting. It's to come back, to return to, to turn to God. The Lord is God. And in Joel chapter three, the theme is faithfulness in judgment. God's faithful in judgment. And I realize judgment is not a topic that we probably talk a lot about during the week. And at church, we dive in at different points. It's not really a topic where there's confetti and you crank up the popcorn machine. But at the same time, it's very significant. It's very helpful. And we want to have clarity today. What does God's word say about judgment? And as we pray together, I want us to lift up uh, people in India. We have connection and friendship with pastors there, and they've put in many requests this week. 
week to say, please pray for us. COVID is running rampant there. Uh, pastors are already dying and others have COVID. And then not just pastors, but widespread across India right now. There's uh, hospitals that just don't have any more room. They're running out of resources and we're connected around the world. So let's lift up India as we pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a refuge, strength, and ever-present help in trouble. God, and we care for each other around the world. And as we think about India and right now, the illness, Lord, the mourning, the grieving, the deaths, and what feels out of control. God, we pray that you would heal, that you would restore. God, that you would strengthen, that your presence, God, would bring comfort. And Lord, we're asking for help. That you would rescue and save many lives. Turnarounds, God, even people who aren't in the hospital would experience your healing. And God, we pray for your healing touch today in our lives. God, we pray that we would see you clearly, that we would honor you, we would walk humbly with you, and you would transform, God, our relationship with you even today while we gather with you and listen to you and dive into your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God communicates with us. We have a God who delights in communicating with us. And he does that through his word. He communicates through the Holy Spirit. And God communicates through the prophets. Now, as you think about different people in your life, there are going to be some people you spend time with them and you feel very comfortable. It's very enjoyable, uh, predictable at times, but agreeable. And when you spend time with them, you say, oh, that is so nice. That really felt good. And the prophets are a little different. The prophets are unique. When you spend time in the prophets and you're listening to God, you realize the prophets are pretty direct and the prophets go deep. The prophets can make us feel uncomfortable and challenging at times, even difficult, very truthful, in love and lots of truth. And the reality about listening to God when you read his word and when you're listening to the Holy Spirit is that listening to God includes things that initially we don't want to hear. When we're listening to God, if we only have selective hearing and only want the things that we want to hear, we're going to miss out on a lot of who God is and a lot of his message. And there's a lot of things when you read God's word that initially you might think, I didn't want to hear that. But it's good, and it's from God, and it's essential in our growth. And so as we look at Joel chapter 3 today, there's tension. There's tension between judgment and restoration. And how do they both come together in God's plan? There's a lot of juxtapositions in Joel chapter 3. But again, both are necessary. It's a both and. And I've got to be honest and transparent as a pastor. When I hit some of these passages... There's one part of me that thinks, you know, who's going to be upset? Who's going to leave the church as truth is proclaimed? I'm just being honest. That thought pops into my mind. And the other thought, which is another temptation, is to think about, you know, maybe if I soften this, don't say that, don't mention this, maybe that'll make God look a little better and a little more palatable for some people. But again, both of those would be terrible temptations. Instead, for all of us, we want God to be who he is. We want to be faithful to the word, and we want to live and proclaim truth in love. And that's the heartbeat of what Joel's bringing. We're going to take a look at three truths, God's faithfulness in judgment. And here's the first truth today from Joel chapter 3. God often judges differently than we do. I think that's the elephant in the room on this topic. God often judges differently than you judge, differently than I judge, differently than we judge. Now let's take a look at Joel chapter 3, starting in verse 12. 
Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars will no longer shine. Here we have a glimpse at a very intense scene. It's a battle scene. It's divine warfare. And when you think about all the wickedness in the land, God is going to confront the wickedness. Now, it shouldn't be a total surprise because it's really a theme throughout the Bible. When you think about Pharaoh and the cruelty and the slavery, God confronted the wickedness in Pharaoh and he set people free. But the battle was intense and lives were lost in the plagues. When you think about Elijah confronting the false prophets of Baal and the false gods in the land, again, there were deaths and there was also an intense battle that people saw who is the real God? It was light and darkness. And as you look forward and read in the Bible in the book of Revelation, you'll see chapters 14 through 19 that this battle's intense and even this battle, Armageddon we call it, in this plain of Megiddo, Revelation 16, there's something coming that's very significant. So we take that in. Here we read about this valley of decision. It's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And there's a gathering in the Valley of Decision, the Day of the Lord, which is another way of saying there's a day of accountability. And if you want to dive into this particular time in history and look at it from another angle, read the book of Habakkuk. He is another prophet. We've gone through that series. You can find that on YouTube a theme of trying to understand God, Babylonian and Assyrian invasions, and how does God use them as an instrument, but then also holds them accountable. I encourage you to read the book of Habakkuk because Habakkuk has an honest conversation. If you're wrestling with God about his timing and his justice and how he's working throughout the world, Habakkuk is very honest with God, wrestles with God, listens to God. And that's a book you want to spend some time diving into and also you can watch that series. Uh, right now, I want to uh, focus on myth busting because anytime there's a topic where clarity is lacking and there's confusion, I think myth busting is an important step in our faith to separate lies from truth and the urban legends from what God really says. Here's 10 myths, and I'm going to share Bible verses with these. The first myth is that Christians should judge people right now who don't follow Jesus. Have you ever seen a Christian? Judging people who don't follow Jesus? I don't know, pretty rare, right? I'm kind of being tongue-in-cheek right there. I see this all the time. And it combined with a little bit of arrogance and self-righteousness, it's like, where does God say that he wants his people to stand up and start judging and finger-pointing to the people who don't follow Jesus? What I do see in the Bible is that God says, mind your own business, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What I do see in the Bible is that followers of Jesus should serve and build relationships with people who don't follow Jesus. What I do see is that followers of Jesus should be sharing the gospel daily with people who don't know the Lord. I see that happening in the Bible, but I don't see stick the nose up and start judging people when the Holy Spirit is doing all the heavy lifting in your own life and then someone else doesn't even have the Holy Spirit, you're going to just judge them? So this is one of those common practices that's really the opposite of what scripture says to do. Here's a second myth. Anything is fine inside the church. Just let it happen. It's all good. God is love. No big deal. 
Well, actually, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible makes it very clear there should be church discipline. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says that if someone in the church is living a lifestyle that is destructive and they're pulling other people into that lifestyle and they're false teaching and they're spreading that, then membership isn't for that person. And in, in fact, when you think about that church discipline, you, you kind of say, wow, does, does that really happen? I mean, I thought on the Western part of the States, we just live and let live. And no, actually there's accountability and uh, elders have a higher standard in their lives. And also pastors, there's a higher standard. People on staff, there's a higher standard for how you live. And so it's not just, oh, anything's fine in the church. We'll just, you know, turn an eye to that. No, there's a standard that God brings. Here's a third myth. Everyone's judged the same. And I touched on it in that last one, but the Bible's very clear. James 3, 1, teachers will be judged more strictly. You don't think I thought twice about that going into ministry? Uh, teachers judge more strictly than other people. And here's some other areas you might consider. If you've been given much, much will be required. If you know much, you're in a different category. If you've been blessed and God has deposited so much teaching and resources and you've received so much from the Lord in terms of his word, there's a greater responsibility to be faithful and living and spreading and passing on that word. And if you've been given a lot of resources, you have a greater responsibility than those who don't have as many resources. And so there's a real responsibility. Everyone's not judged the exact same. Here's another one. There's no eternal separation from God. That, that there's no hell. And even heaven, some people think that's just abstract. No, there's a literal hell, there's a literal heaven. And it's repeated throughout the Bible. God makes it very clear. There's also no purgatory. A lot of people say, oh, it's a purgatory. You know, you die and then you get some time. And you just kind of sort through things. No, there's no purgatory. We live once, we come before God, and there's two places where we'll spend eternity, either with God or we'll reject God forever. And those are the two places. And so I know that's not the popular politically correct message, but I want to bring the truth in love. Here's another one. Everyone's going to have the same rewards and roles in heaven. Well, that's just not true. I mean, God points out in different ways that there are different rewards for faithfulness here on earth. And even if you've been faithful in your role here, there's different roles in heaven as well. Uh, another one is the sixth one. You can earn or achieve a spot in heaven by being good. And this is over half of America. If you're good enough, you'll make it to heaven. Well, the Bible's the exact opposite. It's no amount of good works that would lead to boasting. There's no good works. It's through faith alone. And it's through Jesus. There's no other Savior. There's no other Messiah. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's through faith in Jesus, not through effort in being good. We need to clarify that in America. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, rewards, you can look at Luke 12. I realize I wasn't mentioning the scripture. Uh, separate from God. This Revelation 20 and 21, Matthew 25. There's so many references. Here's another one. Uh, it's okay if Christians carry around a little resentment and get a little revenge. Then it's okay if that happens. Well, actually, no. The Bible says the amount of revenge that is your role is 0%. The amount of resentment, if you want to honor God in your life, 0%. No resentment, no revenge. God makes it very clear. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And if you try to step in and take revenge and you're carrying around bitterness and resentment, that's sin. That's sin. And so it's God's and to trust God with that. And oh, by the way, another good Bible study would be one on lawsuits. Because these days it's like, oh yeah, fire away, another lawsuit, another lawsuit. Take that Christian to, to court. 
Read what the Bible says about lawsuits. It's countercultural. Okay, moving on. Uh, number eight, that uh, before Jesus returns, his second coming, things are going to be peaceful. Things are going to be calm, pleasant. There's going to be faith everywhere abounding. But actually, uh, what we read about in Matthew 24 is there's wars and rumors of wars. What we see is that faith, it's more like the narrow door. It's not the wide road. It's actually, where's the faith? And so uh, this is another reality check. Number nine, we will not be held accountable for everything. We will not be held accountable for everything we say and do. Take a look at this scripture, Matthew chapter 12. And this is what Jesus says. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Every single word. Now, what, what does that produce? What's the fruit in our lives? The fruit here would be that let's be intentional with our words to build people up, to share about God, to train others up, to be kind with our words. Because every word, yes, God hears it, knows it, and we're accountable fully in what we choose to do. Now, the next one is uh, that judgment is always right away and it's big. That's not the case. If we're honest, sometimes when someone mistreats us, we want it right away and big. And then if we've done something wrong, it's like, oh God, I know you're patient. And this is so, but actually uh, Romans 2, 5 says that when we continue and persist in the same sins and mistreat people over and over again, it's like storing up wrath. And, and so God in his timing, he's patient, he's kind, but he also reaches a point where he brings that judgment as well. And we try to take all this in. And, and what I want to say at this point that's so important, two things. Number one, God does not hate you. If you are hearing this message about judgment, God does not hate you. God loves you. God couldn't love you more. He warns in love. Uh, God literally died for you. That's how much he loves you. So don't hear, when you hear a message of God's faithfulness and judgment, that God hates you. He does not hate you. And then also, uh, every trial in your life is not linked to God's judgment. Don't think that anytime something is difficult in life, oh, that was God, I did something wrong, he judged me. That's not the case. We live in a fallen world, and also people do the most terrible things to other people. So don't just assume that God is getting you for something you did. That's often really not the case at all. What we can do is know what God says and honor him. Now, some people hear this part of God's word, and they say, well, I just don't like it. I don't want to follow God. There are people today, and I can't tell you how many dozens have shared with me from their heart that if God judges, they don't want to follow God. They only want a God who is all love all the time, no judgment, no justice, no consequences, no hell, none of that. He's got to be love all the time or else I'm not going to follow him. And I appreciate the honesty that people share that. But what's important is that we worship God for who he is and that we let God be God in all of his holiness and his kindness and his justice and his power and his wisdom that we trust God and we trust his word. We don't try to delete parts of his word. But this is a deep wrestling for, for a lot of people. I think for all of us, it's a deep wrestling. If you try to step in and you try to play God and step into his role and say, God, I don't think you're judging it quite right. God, I'm going to insert myself into this role. 
you will end up extremely stressed, tired, and frustrated because you were never designed to be the ultimate judge over different people and situations. It'll be very, very frustrating. And, uh, and, and it's not your role. You might even have some venom that you're not supposed to carry. Uh, but instead, here's the truth. God's judges differently than we do. He does. His thoughts and ways are higher than our thoughts and ways. This is what will never happen. God will never say, oh, I missed that one. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, you know, at the end, I really got that wrong. <laughs> oh, my bad. God will never, never end up saying that. He is completely trustworthy, even when he's extremely different from what we would naturally do. I think that's often the elephant in the room. And it's important as you start reading in Joel chapter three, that we really unpack what are our perceptions? What do we come to the table with when we think about God and his holiness and his judgment and his faithfulness and judgment? And let's be honest with God as we listen to him and seek him. Here's the second area that we want to highlight, and it's God displays goodness, and he also preserves fairness in judgment. Goodness and fairness together in judgment. Let's take a look at Joel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read about God's justice right here. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Now, what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all of your regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold. You carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. God loves people from all nations. And in heaven, there'll be people from every tribe and tongue. It's going to be a glorious time. But we also know that God holds nations accountable. What are the specifics during Joel's time and during that era? Well, we read about Egypt and Edom. And this is uh, verse 19. We read, but Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. The shedding of innocent blood gets God's attention. The shedding of innocent blood, that blood cries out to heaven. Now, there were a couple times, I was reading about historically, where uh, Egypt came in shedding innocent blood. Shishak was the leader in 926 BC, and also Nico II in 609 BC. What does God say is the consequence for that? Specifically, their land will be a desolate land, a desert wasteland. That would be a consequence for the shedding of innocent blood. Well, what about Tyre and Sidon? Maybe you notice those locations in the first few verses. What were they doing? They were coming in, taking captives, 
And then selling the captives, selling the captives uh, to make profit. They were selling the captives to acquire prostitutes. They were selling the captives so they could have more wine. They were mistreating people full of pride, selfishness. They were taking advantage of other people. And when people take advantage of other people, that catches God's attention. This is what happened historically. 345, Sidon, people were taken into slavery. And that was through Antiochus III. And then also in 332 BC, Tyre and Gaza, people were enslaved, and that was through Alexander. Now, uh, there's some mystery as to how it all plays out. A lot of people today use the word karma. They say, oh, karma, karma, karma gotcha. Well, that word right there is a dangerous word because it really implies a godless creation. And it's saying that just the universe has the final say, an impersonal force. The universe has the final say with karma. And any system, any worldview that's godless is false. Instead of using the word karma, what can be said is that God makes it clear in his word, you reap what you sow. That's what God says. And God says he won't be mocked. And, and so God is faithful in judgment. And we see that throughout history. His justice, his fairness is evident. But then also, what about his goodness? His goodness, his kindness. Uh, let's take a look at Romans chapter 2 as we consider God's kindness and how he draws us to himself. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. In other words, the irony is that when we judge other people and we point out their wrongs and we're harsh with other people, the truth is we're probably doing the exact same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things, it's based on truth. So there's conviction there. Jesus said it this way, remove the log out of your own eye before you try to take just the dust out of someone else's eye. Because how do we see things so often? There's a log in someone else's eye. Oh, and there's just a little bit of dust in my eye. And Jesus flips that. C.S. Lewis points out that, you know, many people think they're so holy and self-righteous until you actually try to live holy. And if you really try to live holy, you will see the sin in your life. What do we do when there's conviction in our lives and that good conviction? Well, uh, so since you, a mere human being, try to pass judgment on them, yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It's God's kindness that draws us back to him. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Repentance pleases the Lord. If God's convicting you of sin today, whether that's an attitude, word, if that's indeed, if God convicts you, know that he is kind. And because he's kind and patient, he draws us back. None of us have experienced what we deserve. Now, eternally, we won't experience it because of Jesus and his sacrifice and even God's patience and kindness. Can you imagine if God judged quickly and harshly every time we sinned? No, our God God is kind and he cares about the relationship we have with him. 
And he has grace that's greater than our sin. And he draws us back to him. And we can sit here confidently today knowing that God has treated us far better than what we deserve. For all the times we violated his law, we know his truth and we go the other direction. We don't honor him. God has been gracious time and time and time again. That's his goodness. Uh, it's amazing to me that God somehow in his perfect judgment uh, is overseeing every individual but then also we see in the Bible, uh, you know, think individuals like Jonah, but then also God is faithful in judging churches in the book of Revelation, chapter one through three, the different churches. He knows every church and uh, what's going on there. And then cities like Sodom and Gomorrah is just one example, but God judges and oversees cities, nation like Israel. You see how God judges that nation and then the nations overall. Somehow God is faithful with goodness and fairness in every realm. Now, let me get playful for a second, a little bit of levity here, but my appreciation grows for God when I think about the role of a parent. And listen, we have judges on the earth, and that's good. That's necessary. We have systems that we want to uphold, standards and truth and integrity. Every parent is really in a judging responsibility, a judgment role. So let me give you one little scenario to illustrate how complicated judging can be. Uh, in our garage, sometimes our kids like to take goldfish, those little crackers. You know what I'm talking about? A packet of little orange crackers out into the garage. Well, what happens is sometimes, let's say I pull up my car into the garage and I look around and I see wrappers or I see little goldfish and there they are spread around the garage. So now let's have a little conversation and I say, all right, looks like there's some goldfish, some goldfish wrappers in the garage. And you know the two words the kids are going to say right away? Not me. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of wise parents in this room. Few parents that have been around the block. Not me. Not me. It's a chorus. It's an echo. Not me. Not me. Not me. Oh, okay. Well, then clearly this is just a goldfish miracle. They, they just happen to get there themselves, climb from the cupboards. And with a bunch of not me. So then the, the next round is, well, I think it was my friends. Okay. Now I'm in a position as a parent do I want to do the research that, well, which friends, uh, so which of you would clean it up? Well, we don't remember which friends. Okay, do I really want to do the research of taking the goldfish down to the lab and getting fingerprints and finding out what's the real story underneath the goldfish in the garage? No, I'm probably not going to do that. But now as a parent in that judgment role, which is a good role, now it's time for consequences, right? So what are we going to choose? No one's owned it, but clearly someone did it. Do we have everyone clean up? Do we just pick one person to clean up, the most willing to clean up? Or is the consequence to clean up the goldfish and the wrappers and then not be able to eat out there until someone owns it? Or is it to clean the whole garage? Should it be a regular thing? Should there be no more food in the garage? Is that too harsh? Is that the right amount? And these are the different thoughts that come through. Should I put a garbage can out in the garage? Or wait a second, maybe that's enabling. You know, it's a fine line as parents between enabling and also setting them up for success. And when are you going too far? When are you going not far? enough and just trying to think through. And as I'm realizing, am I picking the perfect tone? Am I really bringing out the best in them? And now I'm sounding a little like my parents. And how did that just happen? Like this is supposed to be kids and fun and goldfish in the garage playing games. And now look what I sound like. And where did my, what's going on? And I can get overwhelmed. And this is just goldfish in the garage. Amen. How does God do it globally, nationally, every church, every city, every person with fairness and goodness and the final say will land 
perfectly. I don't know. I don't know how he does it, but it's amazing. And our appreciation grows of who God is and how he gets everyone right. Because parenting's humbling. And you look back, you think, I don't think I got that one exactly right. And God gets everyone right. How does God take the messes that we create as we try to bring good judgment to different situations and somehow work it all out? How does he work it all out right? It's amazing who God is and how he works in judgment. And what's our role then, right? We can't change people. You can influence people, but you can't change people. So what do we do? We cry out. Daniel chapter 9, Ezra chapter 9, they cry out on behalf of the land. Oh God, please forgive. Oh God, we've sinned against you. Oh God, be gracious to us, God. Pour out your grace and your healing. God, we turn from our wicked ways. God, we cry out to you. Bring healing in the land. Bring healing in the church. God, bring healing in our families. And we cry out. And then there's the reality because Jesus told the story of the rich man who went into agony in that in, in hell, and the rich man in hell cries out and says, Jesus, would you send someone to my father's house because I've got all these brothers and they need to know the reality of life after death and what happens. Would you send someone there? Because if someone is coming back from the dead and talks to them, then they will believe. And Jesus says this, strong, even if someone overcomes death, rises from the dead and tells them their hearts are so hard, they still won't believe. Even if the resurrection's real, and it is, some will still not repent. And I don't know how to manage that tension between we cry out and fast and pray to God, and at the same time, some people are so stubborn, and I don't know how it works and it plays out, but I know that God has called us to be faithful. He is faithful in judgment, and he wants us to be faithful, to love, to care, to serve, to pray, to fast, and to cry out. Here's two judgments that you need to know about. At the end of time, Revelation chapter 20, it's often called by theologians the great white throne. And this is coming before God. There's going to be two results, Revelation chapter 20. Those who love God, put their faith in Christ, want to spend eternity with God, want to worship and serve God, enjoy God forever. And there's going to be those who say, I don't want any part of that. God, I want to be apart from you forever. And that's what's going to happen. Revelation chapter 20. You know, there's a lot of talk, a lot of times about the White House over the last 10 years. And I think the White Throne is even far more significant than the White House. And we need to be mindful. That's about as serious as you can get in the Bible. And we need to be mindful of these realities that God is rescuing and redeeming every single day. More people, heaven's getting bigger, people from all nations and cultures. And we need to join in on this great mission. Jesus said there's no greater mission. And that's one uh, judgment. But the second one in the Bible is for followers of Jesus. And it's where we come before Jesus. Take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We're all going to come before the Lord and what's going to be separated is the wheat from the chaff, the gold from the dross. There's things you've said and done that are so valuable eternally and there's a bunch of other stuff that's just going to burn up because it has no significance whatsoever. So we want to refocus our lives, calibrate, align with heaven, abide with God and have the influence that we can have together in Auburn and around the Sound and in the nations. We want to honor Jesus. We're going to come before 
before him. We want to be faithful with our resources. And God says this so that, again, we won't be distracted and listening to all these other voices. What do we make of all this? We need to listen to God in a culture where there's many, many voices. There's one voice that matters. And, and it's been said, this phrase, an audience of one an audience of one. What's not going to matter at the end of my days is what this person thought of me and this person thought of me and this person thought of me. Their opinions are not going to matter at the end of days. But at the end of days, the one that will matter is faithfulness to the one voice, to the one God. And for all of us, faithfulness to God, that's our north star in our lives. So that humbles us, doesn't it? That kind of shifts priorities. That shifts the way we treat people. That shifts what we talk about. That shifts a lot of things. But God wants us to be in that spot where we're trusting, relying, honoring him in seeing more people experiencing his love and his grace. And it leads to the third truth. God is both roaring in righteousness and redeeming as a refuge. Roaring and redeeming. Another juxtaposition. Take a look at verse 16. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. And uh, God loves people from all nations. That just meant the um, military attacks, the innocent um, blood that was shed. Verse 18, in that day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of acacias. A picture of fountain and refreshment in the valleys. Verse 20, Judah will be inhabited forever. Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. And the culmination, the Lord dwells in Zion. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. As the lion, he roars in righteousness. As the lamb, he redeems and he lays down his life in our place. His shed blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Truth and love. God is love. God is light. God is a consuming fire. There's a story in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20. Jehoshaphat's the king. And there's a vast army coming in. And maybe you felt overwhelmed. It feels like there's a vast army coming at you. Jehoshaphat is very wise and he prays and he fasts. When you feel overwhelmed in life, this is what you need to do. Pray and fast. The more overwhelmed you are, the more you fast and pray. He fasts and prays. And this is what happens. God gives him a plan and says, lead with the singers, lead with the praise, lead with the worship when you're going through this battle because the battle's not yours. And as Jehoshaphat does that, very unusual, God moves and the opposing armies that were going to come and shed innocent blood, those armies, God brings confusion. They turn against each other and they're wiping each other out. And the result of all that is that the nations hear about that and they revere God. And when God brings judgment, the result is that we revere him. And the nations were revering God when they saw what happened through Jehoshaphat. Now, as you try to take all this in, I realize that for many of us, we've had an authority figure in our lives that's been very negative. Sometimes, sadly, it starts at home. And we have this view of God that he's cruel, that this is unhealthy, that um, we've had authority figures which really warp our perception of God. So I want to declare clearly today that God is benevolent, God is mighty, he is holy, just, faithful, righteous, and God redeems. 
You say, well, why does God judge? And one of the primary reasons in scripture why God judges is because we mistreat each other. We mistreat each other. It's not hard to find that today. When we are cruel, when we tear people down, we're abusive. People were sold as slaves. That's in this Joel chapter three. When we're harsh with one another, that gets God's attention to make things right. And ultimately God will redeem. You say, well, how will he redeem? Be encouraged today. God will destroy, this is from scripture, the devil, death, evil, temptations, divisions, hatred, suffering, pain, and injustice will be gone eternally. You say, well, what will we see? What will we experience? You know, we often pray, God, may earth be more like heaven. Well, we're going to experience full perfection in heaven. We're going to experience God's ultimate provision, his lasting eternal peace. His promises are all fulfilled and his presence. Joel chapter 3 ends, the Lord dwells in Zion. There's nothing greater than God's presence. And as we uh, summarize and wrap up, you think about this short book, three chapters. You know, what happened in the book of Joel? Uh, the emphasis is listen to God. That's what Joel's saying to the people. Listen to God. We've got two ears and one mouth. That's a hint. <laughs> Do more listening than talking. It's also been pointed out, you know, your ears, God made them so they will stay open all the time. But you can close your mouth. That's a hint right there. You can close your mouth, but you can't close your ears. So God wants us to be tuned in and listen. Well, what was he saying through Joel? He was saying to the people that there's abundance and prosperity in the land, but that prosperity is now becoming empty because morally and spiritually people were drifting from God and God tried to get their attention. God brought in literal locusts to get their attention that they might turn to God and come to their senses and treat each other properly and in love and love their neighbors. But instead they didn't listen. Assyria comes in, 722. Babylon comes in, 586. All this is a foreshadowing of the day of the Lord and ultimate accountability. But in the middle of that, God says, fast and pray. God says, cry out. God says, repent. If the people in the land repent, there's going to be restoration. There's going to be restoration and renewal. There's going to be revival in the land if people repent. If people repent, God will pour out his Holy Spirit, young and old, men and women. God's done it before in our land. He will do it again if we cry out to him and humble ourselves, love our neighbors and honor the Lord. We seek God together. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. She who has ears to hear, let her hear. And the redeemer and restorer in the book of Joel is Jesus. The redeemer and the restorer in the book of Joel is Jesus. I'm going to close with this quote from Roland Baker. I think it puts it in perspective for seeking the Lord. I actually don't have a passion for revival. I have a passion for Jesus. In the same way, I don't love prayer. I love the one I pray to. I don't love worship. I love the one I worship. I don't love theology. I love the one theology is about. I don't love signs and wonders. I love the one who does them. I don't love world transformation. I love the transformer. And I don't love heaven, but I love the one who is there. The Lord dwells in Zion. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and lead us in praise. And let's, let's seek the Lord together with our ears. What has God been saying to you today? We're talking about slowing down and listening to God. What has God been saying to you? Which verses stand out to you today? If you were going to write it down in one or two sentences today, what is God communicating to you? How is God moving in your life? What is the Spirit, what is the Word saying today? 
And will you receive who God is in his fullness? Will you step out of the role of trying to be God, trying to judge everyone and be in control? Will you step out of that role? Will you let God be God? Will you be faithful in your role to love, to serve, to speak the good news, to return, to repent? What is God calling us to do today together? What is God saying to our nation that we might listen? If we don't listen, we're going to miss it. If we don't listen, we'll just continue on. The routine, the cruise control, the patterns, the pattern of the world. We need to listen to God. What is God saying? Father, thank you that your word is faithful, that you are faithful. Thank you that your promises are reliable. Thank you that we will see every promise carried out. Thank you for your grace for eternity. Thank you that you're moving in our lives and changing lives. God, our hope is in you. We turn from sin. God, we pray that you'd even break our stubborn hearts, that you break our selfish ways, that you break the patterns of sin in our lives that we would come alive, that we would unite, that we would shine your light, God, that you would do a work as you pour out your spirit. God, we want to humble ourselves before you. Pour out your spirit today, we pray, God, into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, our church, we pray, we seek you, we cry out, move in power, and we give you praise for your faithfulness and goodness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.